Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Roma review episode. I'm joined by two guests to help me with this review, both who have been on the pod a couple of times now. I'll start with Joey Cacavalle. Joey, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me back, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well. Our second guest is Vincenzo Bertillo. Vincenzo, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Joe. Happy to be here. It's my pleasure. So the match finished nil-nil, but it was an entertaining nil-nil draw, as entertaining as you're going to get, I would say, for a scoreless draw. It ends our perfect start to the season, but judging by the comments I've read online, I think most Napoli fans were content with the result. That said, I think we also felt hard done by by the match official Davide Massa. He got mixed reviews in the Italian papers for his performance. Some of them were pretty, I would say, lenient with him. Some of them were pretty critical, maybe honest is a better word. There were three calls or non-calls that I want to discuss. I want to start with Massa. We'll get the referee discussion out of the way, and then we can focus on the match itself, because I know that's sometimes a a topic that not everybody likes to hear with complaining about the refs, but I think in this case, it's a warranted discussion. So the first question I'll ask is whether Tammy Abraham should have been shown a second yellow card. Joey, I'll come to you first with this one. In my eyes, without a doubt. I think he definitely should have got a second yellow. To be honest, I didn't even really catch his first yellow. And then it was somewhere uh, after halftime or maybe around the 50th minute that I realized that he got the first yellow for just running back on the field without the referee's permission. Now, after all that happened on the field afterwards, how ironic is it that most of the yellow cards, red cards that were given out yesterday had nothing to do with Calcio at all. They were just off the field things as opposed to everything that happened on the field. And there really weren't that many yellows given. I absolutely, without a doubt, think that he should have got a second yellow, whether you like to give it for his uh, kick in the face to, uh, I believe that was uh, Zielinski, correct? Yep. And um, he had another foul after that. Help me out with that, Joe. On uh, Ospina, when Ospina intercepted right. the pass and he came in late. 
Not so much with that kick to Espina. I think he definitely should have got his second yellow on his Dianlinski kick to the face. Pretty nice kick, by the way. But besides that, if you were going to let that go, knowing damn well that should have been a yellow card, his second yellow, you should have had a talk with him, let him know, listen, I'm letting you off pretty easy right now, you know? If, if you do anything again, you're getting that second yellow, just a heads up. I'm assuming that discussion never happened. I've never seen it happen, you know? But after that, knowing you were already in deep water, to make that little effort, that little late kick on Ospina, after he already had the ball and the play was over, he should have definitely got a second yellow right then and there. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. Vincenzo, what do you think? I know we're Napoli fans, so it can be seem biased, but at the end of the day, it's a high kick to Zielinski's face. He's not even close to the ball. You're talking about getting the boot over whatever height Zielinski is. He's not the shortest guy. You cannot argue under any circumstances that that's not a yellow, and he already had a yellow. Therefore, it's a red. The Ospina one, I can see being more of a gray area when he stomped, you know, did a little stomp on Ospina. Fine. But at that point, he should have already not been on the field. A lot of people compared it to the foul that Antoine Griezmann committed in the Champions League on Roberto Firmino, where it was a similar situation. I think Griezmann maybe got more of a full boot to Firmino's face, but same type of idea. And he was shown a straight red. Now, I know the officiating can sometimes be different in European competitions than in Serie A, but surely that is a yellow card at least on Tammy Abraham. I agree. For the tackle on Ospina, it felt like it was one of those plays where maybe if it was if he wasn't already on a yellow, they would have given him his first yellow. But because he was on one, it might have been a bit harsh. But I agree with Joey. Sometimes these things are, are cumulative, right? So it's like, okay, we let you get away with the high boot on Zielinski. At that point, it may be a bit soft, but taken together, that should be a yellow card. You're right, Joey. The first yellow was when Tammy Abraham went off injured and you need the referee's permission to come back onto the pitch. And he just (laughs) wandered on. So I think that was a warranted yellow as well. Credit to Tammy Abraham for owning that one, though. I think that's a smarter approach than we typically see from players. Usually, and this applies to most players, including our own, we just complain about every single call. And I think that gets to the referees. And I think maybe Tammy got a little bit of bonus points from Massa for kind of just accepting his first yellow and, whether or not that was the reason why he got away with the other two fouls, who knows? But I, I think there's a clear yellow on the foul on Zelinsky. The second mistake was for missing a foul on Frank Zambo and Gisa in the area. Vincenzo, did you spot this one in real time? Because I'll be honest, when I saw Angisa go down in the area and I saw the replay, it didn't seem to me like there was much there. Yeah, I did spot it. And to me, that was just another incident in the line of succession of many incidences throughout this whole game where I felt that Roma were being rough, playing right on the edge, and Massa allowed them to get away with it. That was another one. And there's countless others as well, I'm sure we'll get to. I agree. I think, and I don't blame the players either, as any of us who have played the game at at any level, you play in accordance with how it's being officiated, right? So if you see that the ref is allowing things, why not do more of those things until the ref starts doing something about it? You're going to keep doing that. I didn't notice it until I saw a slow motion close-up replay that Antonio Gaito posted. He's the uh, editing director at Tutto Napoli, and maybe others were posting it as well, but that's where I saw it first. And 
I figured, okay, that's that seems like a pretty it's one of these after the match, someone zoomed in on something and you know, I don't blame Massa for missing that live because again, I didn't notice it, but this is the whole point of VAR, right? VAR is there to check on these plays when the referee doesn't see it, but maybe they checked it, but they certainly didn't call Massa to come over to the monitor to look at it. Marco Di Bello was on the VAR. For anyone who watched the Derby d'Italia this weekend, Juve were awarded a late penalty for a foul that was far less egregious than this one. Joey, once again, the biggest issue with Serie officiating is consistency. Am I wrong? No, no, not at all, Joey. You're absolutely right. And I don't know about you guys. I watch almost every single game, especially now because of my injury. I'm home a lot. So, you know, I got a lot of time on my hands. But I watch almost every game, and it really can be from night to day. There is zero consistency in this league. Now, you saw that Masa decided he wanted to let them play. And he was like, I'm going to let you play. And if you don't give out yellow cards, indirectly, you are letting them play because they could keep doing whatever they're doing. I mean, a lot of times, Osaman, I feel like he was diving or kind of, you know, embellishing, you know, whatever you'd like to call it. But he was getting hit a lot. They were being rough with him. And I don't know about you guys, but if I'm playing and if I'm being rough with their basically only attacker for the game, I'm going to keep being rough with him, maybe even worse. Maybe, you know, try to ruffle his feathers, make him get a yellow for complaining. But from game to game, it varies so much. Thank God we got rid of the handball rule that was in Serie A because that was literally ruining the league. But now it's becoming so tic-tacky. You don't know what's going to be called from day to day. You really don't. It could be a foul that happens in at midfield and that's not called, you know. But then again, the second half, that same foul could all of a sudden be called. Then there's zero consistency. And you can't really expect Serie A to sit down with everyone officiating and come to an understanding of what exactly should be a penalty and what shouldn't. It's not going to happen. So they're going to keep giving free range to each individual referee, and this is going to continue to happen. I don't see it stopping. Yeah, it feels like we're kind of losing sort of the spirit of the game. Like, I don't think the intention was ever to have these situations where someone try attempts to clear a ball and accidentally kind of catches the toe of another player on the edge of the area and that's that's a penalty like we're we're almost taking it a little bit too literally it's hard to complain too much about that one though because ultimately we benefited from Juve it was the first time I can recall maybe ever (laughs) that I was happy that Juve were awarded a typical Juve penalty late in the match because it meant uh, they drew Inter who's obviously one of the teams that's chasing us in, in the table if we really wanted to nitpick there was another possible foul by Rui Patricio on Osimhen in the area there were a few fouls outside of the area that were missed as well there there was one pull on Angisa's shirt that was blatant and didn't get called. Then after the final whistle, Luciano Spalletti is shown a straight red card. Vincenzo, what did you make of that red card? Absolutely ridiculous. And look at the contrast between Mourinho, who was a pantomime, and we can speak about why I don't blame him for it, but the contrast between Mourinho and Spalletti throughout the entire game was so stark. And the fact that now they're both left with the same punishment is absolutely ridiculous. You're telling me that you have the ability to read minds? We're now giving red cards, direct red cards to people based on your guessing that their clap is ironic? 
and you can read their intention. You're that perceptive. You're like have a telekinesis or some kind of telepathy. I mean, how can you, how can you say that, you know, for sure he was being ironic. I mean, he wasn't even near him. It was over absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, even though it won't affect things, it just shows you the type of attitude that this Massa character has. It's all about his ego and he's making himself be a protagonist where the best refs are invisible. If anyone's wondering what Vincenzo is referring to, every Monday we get a report from the sports judge on all the suspensions and fines from the round. And Gerardo Mastandrea confirmed that Spalletti will be suspended for one match. And actually his punishment was worse than Mourinho's because he also got a 5,000 euro fine, which the club probably pays and it's not a big deal, but technically a bigger punishment. And the reason for the suspension was, quote, disrespectful expressions on the playing field at the end of the match, assuming an ironic attitude towards the match official. Um, Spalletti's version of the story was that he went to greet Massa and Massa happened to walk away at the same time. I guess he didn't see him. So Spalletti clapped and said, bravo, Massa. And uh, Massa, I guess, didn't take that too well. Spalletti did add that he didn't protest any calls during the match, which I think is what you're referring to as well, Vincenzo. He he was pretty uh, quiet on the touchline, and he said there were some challenges he could have protested, especially in such a big match. Edel was also suspended 10,000 euros for going onto the field, which I guess executives are not allowed to do, and also for disrespectful expressions addressed to the match officials in a sarcastic tone. Again, this kind of interpretation of what these guys were saying, although in Edo's case, I, I probably believe it. On the other side, Mourinho's suspension was confirmed, but he wasn't fined, and Roma were fined 10,000 euros for insulting local chants towards the visiting fans. The Fiji Chi also announced that they'll be investigating apparently racist chants that were directed toward Victor Osman. I feel like this is on a weekly basis we're seeing this garbage. Vincenzo, last question on Massa before we move on. He has a history of sending off Napoli players. Do you buy into any of the speculation that Massa has something against Napoli? Well, the proof is in the pudding. If he's not consistent with the way he approaches the game and he punishes Napoli more than he punishes the other teams, and you can say that he unfairly treated Napoli in comparison to Roma in that one game as a comparison, I believe there is something to it because ultimately... These are people, they clearly let their ego rule their decisions. And who knows what he has against Napoli. It could be something to do with some of the people who work at the club or just the past or some run-ins they've had in the past. And it can be a conscious or subconscious pattern that he's sticking to with his treatment. It could have been worse, but ultimately I felt that he was very unfair towards Napoli. And anytime he's going to be refing an important game for Napoli in the future, I think I and all Napoli fans are going to be very wary and very nervous. Yeah, Joey, do you agree? Um, To a certain extent. I think the key word there was ego because with him, I really think he's capable of throwing anyone out of any game. I really do. I think with him, it's it comes down to pride and not what's actually going on on the field because he gave Mourinho's red card for him complaining. The clap that Balletti gave him like, how sensitive are you? Your temperament has got to be totally different if you're going to be officiating a game. The goal for a referee in any sport is to not be a part of the game. I think Vincenzo said it. The best referees, at the end of the game, you don't even know who refereed the game. Those are the best ones because he's not trying to become a part of the game. 
just do your job and do it well, and no one's ever going to complain. So I really think that guy's capable of giving anybody a red. I really do. If uh, Mario Roy uh, rolled his eyes at him, he probably would have got a red too. Yeah. <laughs> well, those eyes, they can be pretty crazy sometimes. But, you know, and it's not just Massa. We saw, you know, Fabio Capello commented on this after after the match on his show that, you know, we saw four managers get sent off yesterday. The two in this match, Inzaghi got sent off, Gasparini got sent off. But Massa does have a history with Napoli specifically. He was the one that sent off Lorenzo Insigne against Inter last season. And again, to your point, it, it's about ego. Like he got sworn at, like that doesn't happen, you know, in every single match. The season before he officiated our Coppa Italia semifinal against Lazio and LCT Sai was shown two yellows in 11 minutes. The first was for a foul on Caicedo in the area where Immobile famously slipped and put his penalty over the bar. And the second, I believe, was for a foul on Adam Matusic. But then six minutes later, Massa made up the call by giving Lucas Leva a yellow for a foul on Zielinski and then a second yellow for <laughs> dissent, I think, in the same play. And in 2016-17, this one's going a bit back, but I think you guys will remember this one. Jose Callejon was sent off by Massa for lashing out at Adam Nagy after Nagy bowled him over. And that was a typical case where the official missed the initial foul and then the player who retaliates get sent off. But it was probably the right call because Callejon did kind of kick out at him. But then again, we got a makeup call, which seems to be a thing with Massa. You know, even in this match, he sent off one manager. So then he made it up by sending off the other one. And he sent off uh, a Bologna player. We actually went on to win that match 7-1, to one, so in the end, that one didn't matter. But yeah, a little bit of a history with Davide Massa, so hopefully we don't see him for a little while. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about the actual match. Welcome to part two of the Fortsanopoli podcast. So we spent a lot of time talking about officiating in part one, so... Now that we've gotten that out of the way, I want to talk about the match itself. Obviously, the officiating or lack thereof could have influenced the result. But Joey, officiating aside, did you think a draw was a fair result? I do. I do. At the end of the game, I didn't have the feeling that either team did enough to win. I think Mourinho had an excellent game plan. And I don't know why managers aren't doing this against Napoli more often. He left Mancini and Ibanez deep, very deep. And then to counter it, Insignia, well, I don't know if it was to counter because Insignia does it a lot anyway, but he started to play more central. And then once he moved more central, he even backed up Veritaud and uh, Cristante to not give him any room either. So there there was no room for basically either one. They basically played very central and directed us to the wings. I heard a very interesting stat during the game. I don't know if it was from uh, Andres Cordero or uh, Bonetti, but the stat was up until last game that we only crossed the ball 19 times all season, which is baffling to me. I thought it would be way more than that, but it's true though. We play a lot more central now and not too many managers really put onto the way we play our new style of playing. Now, I feel like it's good to play like that. I like the more direct approach. But at the same time, you need to change it up. Because in times where Osimhen is not on, or maybe he's playing against really good center backs that know how to contain them, it's going to stop the offense. It's going to hold us down a little bit. So I feel like Mourinho had a great game plan. 
But at the same time, in him doing that, he played very defensive. And besides Zaniolo totally dogging Rui on the wing, like he totally dominated him. I don't know if they really did enough for me. Like at the end of the game, I, and you know, just watching it, I really don't think that Roma did enough where they could come away feeling like they should have won. And at the end of the day, I feel like they should feel like, well, you know, Napoli didn't score either, you know? So they're probably more content with the point than we are. But at the same time, I don't feel like we should walk away and be like, oh, you know, we lost three points. No, we didn't. I feel like we deserve the point just like they did. And, you know, that's the way it won. I intentionally listened to the Roma Press podcast on this match just because I wanted to get the other perspective from the other fans. And the host, John Solano, actually said that he felt Roma were the better team and deserved the win. I thought that might have been a bit of a stretch. Yeah, maybe they had the better chances. But I think a draw was probably a fair result. Vincenzo, what do you think? I think that we can't complain with a draw in the sense that on paper, if you look with eight wins and one draw, and that draw is a 0-0 draw away in Rome at the Olympico, on paper, we can say that you can't be too upset with that result. And I agree. We're still top of the table. We kept the clean sheet. That's fine. I do believe overall that we edged the game particularly in the second half. And I believe that, you know, this was a game that was going, if it was going to be won, it was going to be won by one incident. You know, it was going to be a one nothing game either way. I felt that we created a bit more than they did. We had more possession. We had a little bit more penetration, but they were allowed to basically be rough with us. And they stuck to Mourinho's game plan very well. And they, they did stifle us to a degree, mind you, if Osimhen timed his offside uh, run a little bit better and scores that goal onside, which I think he still would have got to the ball, then we win one nothing. But of course, you can say ifs, ands, or buts in many incidences. Obviously, I don't want to hearken back to the ref too much, but had the ref been more fair, they probably would have had 10 men for a greater period of time, and therefore we would have probably won the game. I also think we overlooked, there was a pretty bad, um, I forget who it was that was taken down right at the edge of their box or we should have had a free kick as well. So there were some extra incidences we didn't speak about that I think could have swayed it more in our direction. But ultimately, I'm not surprised. I've studied Mourinho a long time and we all know if you follow his career, if there's anybody who can get a clean sheet and, and keep a clean sheet and and stifle the opposition, it's Mourinho. I mean, there's almost no one better in the world to do that. I felt that it was very much a tactical chess match. I felt they stifled some of our danger men. We stifled a lot of their danger men, in particularly Pellegrini and Veratu, who are two of their most creative players. Yes, Zaniolo had some success against Mario Rui on the wing, as we would have expected. However, it was mostly in the first 20 minutes that Mario Rui was really having trouble. After that, I actually felt that he did a decent job considering Zaniolo's pace and youth and the fact that Rui is not our, you know, he's our weakest link. They clearly identified that and still weren't able to make it count. So I would say I'll take the draw. I'm not going to dwell on it and we can move on. At the same time, I believe that, you know, we edged it. We edged the game. Yeah, I think part of Zaniolo's success early in the match, and I was actually impressed that he played as long as he did because I wasn't convinced that he'd be fully recovered from the injury he picked up uh, the week before. I think they called it a sprain with his history of knee injuries, I thought it was a bit risky to play him in the first place. But I think part of the reason he had success in that opening 20 minutes was because we seemed intent on going long. And Mancini and Ibanez, 
who both had fantastic matches. You have to give them credit because it's not easy to stop Osman, and they did. But I think with them eating everything up at the back, we were just kind of shipping possession back over to Roma. So you give them the ball, that means Zaniolo is going to get the ball more. But as the match wore on, we started to grow into it. We started to play our own game. And I completely agree. We looked much better in the second half. I was convinced that as Roma tired out and we started to make changes just because of the depth that we have in the squad that we would take over and and eventually get our goal. I, it was crazy if you looked at I don't know if you guys looked at Roma's bench, but Mourinho benched a lot of his normal reserves. There was a lot of drama with Mourinho after their 6-1 loss to Bodo Glimt. He, he didn't even put these five players in the squad, Kumbula, Reynolds, Calafiori, Diawara, and Villar. So his bench was a lot of Primavera players. And so I thought, you know, once we start making changes, we'll have the upper hands with our depth and some fresh legs. What was interesting was that there were two very distinct approaches in the second half. We were very much on on the front foot. We were pushing forward, trying to create Roma seemed content to sit back. To be honest, I'm not sure that we would have necessarily won this match, even if Abraham got sent off, because sometimes you see that where a team just goes into full defensive mode and they become very difficult to break down. It was interesting because it reminded me of the way we played when Gattuso first took over Napoli, just the roles were reversed. And I specifically remember how we played in the Coppa Italia against Inter in the semifinal and Juve in the final where we literally defended and even hoped for penalty kicks to win those matches. And that was kind of what happened here. But I must admit, it was nice to have the roles reversed for once where we were the ones taking it to the opponent as opposed to the team that was sitting back and just hoping to get a result. The reason why I think it was a fairly even match, though, was because I do think Roma had the better chances. Yes, we hit the upright but that was a little bit fortunate. I think Mancini actually made a really good block when I saw the replay. Initially, I thought Osman just hit the upright, but Mancini blocked it. It was going in, uh, and then it kind of rattled around, hit the upright, fell for Mario Rui. I know a lot of people were like, oh, Mario Rui, how did he blow that chance? Personally, and I know Joey's, <laughs> I know Joey agrees with me on this one, I never had any expectation that he was going to hit the goal at all, so <laughs> I guess I wasn't that bothered by that one. But Abraham and Mancini both had glorious chances that they failed to convert. So I think for that reason, it was probably a fair result. You know, I mentioned John Solano thinking that Roma were the better team. I I feel like this was one of those cases where both fan bases probably felt that their team was the better side. And you could probably say the same thing of the the Inter-Juve game. I wanted Spalletti to break Napoli's record for most consecutive wins to start a campaign, but I agree. Playing away from home at the Olimpico, a very tough place to play, a draw is not a bad result. Now, Victor Osman obviously didn't score, finished nil-nil. So I want to get both of your thoughts on something that I asked Mo Salad a couple of episodes ago. Vincenzo, I'll go to you first. Are we becoming too dependent on Victor Osman, at least to score goals? Well, I think any team that would have Victor Osman in their team would make him the focal point of their attack. Therefore, it's a bit of a catch-22. Would I like to see the other people around him scoring more? Yes, but I find that no matter what, if you have a, a very strong striker, even the people around him usually will tend to score a little bit less because we're filtering things a little bit through the focal point. Insigne didn't score as much when Higuain was scoring 36 goals 
And it wasn't because Insignia had a bad season. It's just that the team was set up to have him as the focal point. I do think we have enough other options, though. For me, the real key will be getting Zielinski on form. I really think that he's the missing component right now. And if he is able to get on form, uh, then he can bring in a lot of other attacking plays and connect better the whole attack with the midfield. And uh, I think that can allow us to take the next step up. Yeah, we'll come back to Zielinski a little bit later because I do want to talk about his performance. But Joey, I'll ask you the same thing because when we signed Spalletti, we knew that Osman would thrive because Spalletti's number nines generally do thrive under him and his system. But do we need to get more production from other players when Victor is locked down like he was in this match? Absolutely, without a doubt. Because you can't become too one-dimensional. Even when he came back last season after his injuries, he was still playing lights out. I believe he had over 10 goals anyway, didn't he? So I like the direct approach that Spalletti's implemented. I love it, actually. It's hard to tell guys not to send long balls to Osimhen over the defense's head because he always catches up to it. It's really a double-edged sword. You want to get everybody involved, but at the same time, it's the easiest play to make. And it's the most direct play to make because you're making that play without their defense coming back and setting up. And it gives them much more room. At the same time, you want everyone to be confident on the field. You want everyone to be on the same page. You want guys scoring. Uh, before last season, we were even talking about how wingers need to score more. Uh, Insignia needed more production. And, you know, you just want a more well-balanced offense. I feel like, obviously, every time Insignia gets the ball, he's looking for two people. He's looking for Osaman and whoever's playing the right wing which is rightfully so. I feel like sometimes, on the other hand, Fabian, which he's playing lights out too, but sometimes he gets the ball and he's like, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to kick it upfield. And it's a long ball and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But there's nothing wrong with maintaining possession, you know? We did it very well before Simon was here. So I feel like you should be doing a little bit of both. So I would like a more well-balanced attack, but... I'm not going to complain it with this direct approach because even if Osiman's not scoring, it's still setting up goals for everyone else. So I feel like it's a good game plan, but we're also going to need to react because it's not really a copycat league, but I'm pretty sure that other managers are going to see what Mourinho did, and they're going to want to do the same if they have the center backs to do it. Ibanez had a lot of speed which I didn't realize he was that fast, but he has a lot of speed. And Mancini, you know, he, him with his antics, but he, he's actually a very good center back. But I feel like other managers are going to try this too. So you need to mix it up. We don't need to do it all the time, but I feel like even if they do, even if Fabian gets the ball and just looks over the top every single time, it's hard to complain about, man. It really is. I think other managers have tried to do this. Just Victor's so difficult to stop that even when you have good center backs, you still like your chances going long to Victor and then, you know, kind of catching up or him just doing it on his own. I want to talk about the incident with Osiman and Mancini just before the break. In my preview of the match, I talked about how Osiman would need to keep his cool because other than maybe Giorgio Chiellini, few center backs know how to get under a player's skin better than Gianluca Mancini does. Joey, the last time you were on the podcast was to review the Venezia match. And of course, Victor got sent off for retaliating after Don Heyman's pulled his shirt in that match. 
In this match, he very nearly got sent off for retaliating after Mancini jumped on his back. What did you make of that whole situation? I worry about him losing his cool a lot. You could see he gets very upset, and uh, he doesn't really know how to react. I believe it was Palitano that was holding him back. And I think it's a good thing that he did because he could very easily lose his cool. And, you know, he's young. It's it's understandable. But I don't know, Joe. I feel like you're going to have me on it. Anytime there's a red card, you're going to have me on the podcast. <laughs> and I say, oh, yeah. that's, all, that's all I'm going to talk about is red cards. No, yeah, right. no, I'll, I'll try to get you on when he's not, <laughs> when he doesn't have a retaliation. No, but, you know, it's really hard to calm down a young star like this. It really is. And you don't want him, most of all, you don't want him to lose that emotion because it's part of his game. It's part of the reason why he's so dynamic. You want him to keep that same passion and just focus it. But any kid that age, you know, what is it? he's 21 now, correct? Yeah, I think any, 21 or 22, somewhere around there. Any kid that age, he's going to grow and he's going to learn to calm himself down. But I worry about him because referees are looking for that now. You know, they know they know he's capable of getting uh, getting very upset and getting a red card, especially a referee like this who pays more attention to your personality more than the actual game. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I wish Koulibaly was a midfielder because I feel like when he steps in front of uh, Victor, when he steps in front of anybody, they listen. Vincenzo, do you think if, because Osman kind of kicked out, he just it looked like from the replay that he missed. Do you think if he gets a, a piece of Mancini there, he's getting sent off? I mean, with Massa as the ref, who knows what he would consider a red and what he wouldn't. As far as being worried about Victor retaliating, I actually think since the incident in Venezia you guys are speaking of, he's had incredible emotional control and maturity for his age because up until this game, there's been a lot of incidences where people are you know, just all over him and trying to rile him up. And I felt that especially after he did that at the start of the season, you know, we knew that that was going to be something that every other team tries to do. As Joey says, it's a copycat league. People see something that works and they do it again. And against someone like Victor with that speed and talent, you'll try anything possible to get him off the field or to put him off of his game. In regards to yesterday's game against Roma, I mean, you're never going to have a worse combination than a Mourinho team after a terrible loss earlier in the week in a finally almost filled up Olympico after COVID with a center back like Mancini. And if you're able to stay on the field with that combination, I cannot imagine a, a more difficult, challenging, emotional scenario combination than that. So on the one hand, I don't like that he did the little kick out. On the other hand, he didn't hit him and he was fouled. Arguably, he did have a, you know, it was a bit soft, but he did get an elbow to the head from Mancini before that. So at least, you know, he was trying to bring attention to that as well. Could he still mature? Of course. Who can't at 22 years old? But overall, I'm not as worried now as I was at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I'm not sure if you guys saw it, but it looked to me like Mancini took a little bit of a swipe at him on his way down, or at least gave him maybe like a little love tap on the head. And I think that's what set Victor off. I don't think it was necessarily the initial tackle. I thought Victor still played well, all things considered. Things just maybe didn't go his way in this match. We talked about those two center backs having probably their best game of the year. He had another goal disallowed, which you mentioned Vincenzo, but it was the right call. 
he even had a foul called against him for simply turning, <laughs> which I've seen him do this a couple times. I know, Joey, you uh, you weren't too thrilled about that <laughs> that foul call. No, not at all. He's going up for a header from Mosquina, and Ibanez runs underneath him. For the life of me, I don't understand why this is ever a foul anyway, but Ibanez jumps on his back. He's anticipating Ibanez going up for the header. He just turns around him and just runs upfield. I don't even think there was any contact at all. Not only did they call a foul, but right away you got Pellegrini and Mancini coming over to Massa, and they're complaining that he should be carded when he didn't even touch him. Listen, someone needs to explain what is going on. I mean, complaining is one thing, but complaining when there's not even contact, it's just silly. That whole play was silly. And you can see that Osimhen, you know, bravo to him because he just walked away. He didn't even pay it anymore because there was zero contact. And it also made zero sense. You know that Mourinho's team talk was like 60% about that and like 40% about tactics, okay? We all know the way Mourinho is. You can go and watch his Tottenham all or nothing to get some better insight. But the fact of the matter is he knew that he had the home advantage and he was going to do everything he could, both himself and his players, to rile up the crowd and to complain to the ref and to exaggerate every single thing and do whatever they could to sway the game in their direction apart from actual football. That's just what Mourinho does. That's why he was acting like a pantomime like he was to get the crowd on his side, to get the crowd more fired up. Then the crowd yells at the ref, puts pressure on the ref, puts pressure on our players. And this is something that Mourinho does better than anyone else. It's annoying. It's very frustrating. And when he has a team like this Roma team, they have some players who are already in that vein, as we were saying, like like Mancini, who grew up idolizing Matarazzi, who Mourinho famously had a great bond with at Inter. So there's all these connections there. I just You just knew that this is how it was going to be. And it's very frustrating as an opponent. But if I was Mourinho going up against this Napoli, I would be desperate and maybe try something like that as well because we're a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I mean... With a perfect record, I think you're willing to try whatever you can to disrupt that. And in the end, it worked. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll talk about some individual performances. Welcome to part three of the Fortsonopoly podcast. I want to close the pod with some discussion of some individual performances. I'll keep this one pretty open. Vincenzo, were there any performances that stood out to you, either good or bad in this match? Well, on the bat side, I'm going to have to unfortunately talk about one of my favorite players, Piotr Zielinski, who we've spoken about many times, Joe. I mean, he's literally one of my favorite Napoli players. I absolutely love this guy, his dribbling, the way he's creative. Uh, Last year, he missed a great chunk of the season and still reached double figures in goals and assists in this number 10 role, which I think is the perfect position for him. But unfortunately, I would have to say that that might have been overall his worst performance in a Napoli game that I can remember, especially from the start, and in particular in a big game. I can't remember him having such a bad performance, doing so many giveaways. And not only was he not good from a defensive end, he wasn't adding anything to the attack either. So you don't even have those little moments of magic that he can sometimes even contribute when he's not having a great performance. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. What about you, Joey? Any players that uh, stood out good or bad? I agree with Vincenzo 100%. I thought Zielinski was totally up. I was actually surprised that he wasn't subbed at half. That's how bad I thought he played. I just 
didn't think he was making himself available too much in open lanes and he wasn't as aggressive. Like at one point, I think he retrieved the lost ball on the end line in the corner by the corner flag and he was one-on-one with uh, Bina and he decided to give the ball up, which is very surprising to me because I thought he would have tried to pull a move. If he was feeling himself and was totally 100% over this injury, I feel like he would have attacked right there. And he decided not to. And I was like, ah, you know, maybe he should be subbed out. As opposed to everyone else, I feel like this partnership between Zombo and Fabian is excellent. How could you ask for more? I mean, they're both playing lights out. They have chemistry without even practice. You know, like now you're playing twice a week or whatnot. They really haven't had that much training together where they could have got acquainted and decide what each other like. But it's very interesting. They both turn around when they're stuck with the ball. And the first place they're looking is to each other. And it's a great partnership because they're both very well balanced. Fabian made an excellent, he gave an excellent ball leading up to that opportunity. I believe it was to uh, Palutano. And he crossed it and then Mancini almost, you know, knocked it into his own net. But what a ball. And he was playing tough defensively as well. And Zambo, we know that we could always count on him to be very strong defensively. I think one of the knocks on him was, oh, his shooting. But I don't even really worry about that because that's not what we need him for. That's not why he's here. He's obviously great with his feet. You know, he's surprised me with his passing. His dribbling, we all knew about. But he's such a presence. Kind of like, I'm not going to say kind of like, better than what Bakayako gave us, you know? Better than what he gave us defensively. But look at everything else that he does. And he's always getting in passing lanes. He does all the little things that you don't really notice until you watch the game a second time and you're like, wow. I feel like he clogs up lanes defensively, just like Deme does, except he's obviously more physically uh, you know, capable of doing anything. So, yeah, I thought those two played very well. I thought Osaman had a great game. And obviously Koulibaly, just like always, we don't want to talk about him because he does it every single game. But let's face facts here. We played nine games. We let up three goals. And the next best team to us, I think, has already let up nine. It's a big difference. I don't remember us playing so well defensively, and he is so on his game. I'm tired of it. I don't want to hear about another center back that's better than him ever again. Guys, the guy plays lights out. He's simply amazing. Put whatever center back you want next to him. But shout out to Rachmani. I think he's thriving next to... Koulibaly, who, yeah, out of this world, I completely agree. He doesn't get talked about enough because he just does it game in, game out. I agree on Angisa, really strong performance. He's got the physical abilities that Bakayoko does, but his football IQ is just on another level. And he, I think, effectively negated Pellegrini, who's arguably been Roma's biggest uh, threat this season. He's playing really well under Mourinho. He had a couple of chances, but they were either shots from distance or difficult ones like that volley that he he played with the ball over his shoulder. I mentioned last episode that I thought Angisa had a bit of an off day against Legia Warsaw, which was understandable given how much he's played since he arrived. So for me, this was a great bounce back performance from him. The scary thing is you mentioned the shooting. I think Spalletti mentioned that as well, that that's one area he can improve. I agree. I don't think it's necessary given the weapons we have on this team, but if he were to develop that part of his game, I would put him 
right up there with the Milinkovic Savages and the Barellas of Serie because he'd be a perfectly rounded player. I agree with both of you on Zielinski. I thought he was really disappointing. We mentioned that opening 20 minutes with all the long balls, so we kind of bypassed the midfield during that period, so he couldn't really get involved. But then even when we did start playing our own game, he didn't make that much of an impact. In fact, he was the player that was dispossessed by Cristante that led to that Tammy Abraham chance in the first half. I do think we have to give Jose Mourinho and Roma's midfield a lot of credit, though. I think... I guess what you would call it is that they played a mid-block in this match and they really protected the middle of the park, which made it really difficult for our midfielders. I felt like every time we tried to go into Fabian or Anguissa or Zielinski, that's when they pressed. They didn't really press high. They pressed in the midfield. And then that just sort of forced us to play the ball back to our center backs or to go out wide. We talked about the injuries. I agree. I think Zielinski was probably not at 100%. And and even on the season, he's been inconsistent, but he's already had two injuries only nine games into the season. So that's, that doesn't help. We're fortunate that both of those injuries came either right before or during an international break. So he hasn't missed too many matches, but it still disrupts your your season. Zielinski was replaced with Eli Felmas in the 70th minute. Now, it's hard to question anything Spalletti does considering how we've started this season. But Vincenzo... This is probably a loaded question, but I'll ask you anyways. Do you think Elmas was the right guy to bring on in that situation? I actually think, like we said, I mean, how can you question anything Spalletti has done this season? He's been nearly perfect, and you, you could anyone would have signed for this uh, record we have so far at the beginning of the season and, and some. However, I would say I think he got his subs a little bit wrong in this game, not just in the personnel, but the timing. I felt that... By the 55th, 60th minute at the latest, Silinski should have been off. He was doing more harm than good at that point. We were actually coming on strong and he was the missing link. And if someone can't get it together in 60 minutes, they're not going to have an amazing half an hour. Also, because of the problems we were having a little bit on the left, even though we did better with Zaniolo, I would have had Elmas come on about 10 minutes earlier, but I would have had him come on on the left do some of the defensive work, shift Insigne into the middle, and maybe put Lozano on the wing a little bit earlier for Politano, who I thought did a decent shift. But by again, by the 60th minute, I felt we could have had fresh legs. So if it was me, I would have put Elmas on for Zelensky, shifted Elmas left, Insigne in the hole with Chucky on the right for a bit. And then maybe around the 75th minute, I would have brought Mertens on a little, give him a little bit more time to make an impact. That's exactly, pretty much exactly what we did against Legia Warsaw. And then we saw Insignia scored the opening goal of that match playing in the number 10. So I agree with that. The other option, which I would have liked to see, unfortunately, because I haven't been impressed with Elmas in the 10, is perhaps playing Mertens in the 10 as the substitute for Zielinski instead of Elmas. Spalletti seems to be fond of him. I think it's just because of his work rate. But even at his age, I think Mertens... Obviously, he's definitely a better finisher, so he's more of a goal-scoring threat in the number 10, but I think he's also more creative, which is weird to say because Elmas is a very technical player, but I guess we can't confuse that with creativity because he doesn't seem to create a whole lot in that midfield. He's just kind of running around. Joey, we spoke about Elmas last time you were on, so I won't ask you about him again, but I do want to ask you something else. I can't remember who tweeted it, but I saw someone online say that we perhaps need to look for another number 10. Do you think that should be maybe a bit of a bigger priority now? Yeah, I think so. 
no more than another left back. But yeah, I I believe so. If I'm not mistaken, we played Unas at the 10 once, correct? Yeah, that's a great point, actually. And the game that we did that, sorry to interrupt, but that was the Juve game, which was a very similar situation. It it was 1-1, I believe, or we might have been losing 1-0 at the time. I can't remember at what point Unas came on. And when he did come on, that completely changed the game. So it may be if we had Unas, we wouldn't need another 10 because he has that ability. Unfortunately, who would have thought that coming into the season we'd be saying, ah, if only we had Unas. And I'll be the first to admit, I didn't think he could play. And I'm still not sure because it was only one game. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt, man. He played, you know, I was impressed. I was very impressed. And a guy like him, he's so dynamic on the ball, off the ball. You want him on the field. If the opposing team could somehow give us some space at the 10th slot, it's worth it to bring a guy like him in because he is creative. He can shoot. I Two years ago, I remember him scoring from like 40 yards out. He could definitely shoot too. Very offensive-minded. I think between him and Mertens, I'm not dying to go out and get another 10. I don't really think you need it, to be honest with you. I mean, unless unless you're going to ship some guys off, save up some money, and then get someone who's better. But I don't even see that happening. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think maybe with Unes, we probably don't need to. I was more thinking that Zielinski, yes, he had a great season last year, but he's also has has a bit of a history of being inconsistent. So it's it was more thinking of, you know, do we need someone that can back him up when he's having a bit of an off game? Also, I agree with you. I think Martins should have came in earlier, and I think he should have played at the time. I was, I mean, I'm not going to say baffled, but I was very disappointed to see Almas come in for Zielinski at that point. I don't know. I just feel like when he played the 10 against uh, Warsaw, right, he was way out of position. He was coming back like, you know, he was playing the double pivot in order to get the ball. And I'm like, I can't imagine Spalletti giving him these instructions. His positioning was as bad as I've ever seen it. And it's going to be hard not to struggle if your 10 is coming back that deep. And not only that, but at times he was on the sideline. Sure, you know, you give him free range and every 10 is going to, you know, linger this way or linger that way. But I feel like his positioning was terrible at the 10. Now, sometimes he plays the wing and I feel like he could play pretty well on the wing. It doesn't give you the speed that you need or that you want, but he knows his positioning there. But I feel like anytime he's going to play midfield, I have no idea what his instructions were. It's pretty hard to tell. I've always said I'd like to see Fabian get a shot in the 10, but he actually seems to be embracing that Regista role. And as you mentioned, with the chemistry him and Angisa have right now, you definitely don't want to mess with that. And then I don't think Demme or Lobotka have the qualities to play as a 10. They're true holding midfielders. So I agree. If we were to go out to sign a number 10, I think we'd have to get rid of one or two of these guys because we just have too many central midfielders. We're coming to the end here, but I'll give both of you an opportunity to get any final thoughts. And Vincenzo, I'll go to you first. Well, just to go off what you're saying in regards to the 10, I'll just say that Mertens can play 10, Unas can play 10, even Insigne at times can play 10. But those three, for me, will never start in the number 10 unless we're facing the likes of a Salernitana or one of these uh, lesser teams. Just because judging by the history of Luciano Spalletti and the types of players he's always used in the number 10 role, this is a guy who used Perotta and Nangolan in the number 10. And I just think that he sees Mertens, Unas, and Insigne as sub-10s or late last-minute get-a-goal 10s or perhaps against a weak player 10s. But 
against a big team, it's going to be Zielinski or Elmas backing him up just from the fact that he sees the 10 as still a midfielder who has to contribute defensively. And it's just hard to ask someone like Mertens to do that at this point in his career. And likewise with the Unas. But I do agree, Unas is a phenomenal impact sub. And I can't wait to have him back because he can be the guy the last 10, 15 minutes to just open up that space, like Joey was saying, and just unlock the door, so to speak. And we've seen him do it already, whether that be in the 10 or whether that be on the wing or anywhere. And he can play for me across the attacking line. And the last thing I'll just say is you were speaking earlier about the chemistry between Anguisa and Fabian, and it is so brilliant and natural. I mean, for me, by the end of the season, we can, we can judge this better, but they're one of the best midfield twos in the world, just in terms of characteristics and the way they complement each other. For me, Jorginho and Conte were the best midfield two as of last year. I mean, they won the Champions League and they complemented each other. And I think if you match their characteristics right now, with the characteristics of Fabian and Angisa, the way they've been showing so far, you can make an argument that they're really pushing them. And lastly, I'll just say Rahmani Koulibaly partnership, the natural chemistry between these two, the fact that Rahmani stays back and he's more of an old-fashioned defender completely complements Koulibaly's forward runs. And a lot of times, uh, I work in film, and a lot of times we talk about chemistry. Like you can have, let's say, three actors but one guy and girl are good together and the other guy and girl aren't good together and they're all equally talented. But sometimes it's just the individual characteristics of the players. Manolas might be a better player than Rahmani, but he doesn't compliment Koulibaly nearly as well. And we, we seem to have struck upon this magic combination in the center back partnership and in the midfield partnership. That's incredible. And I think that's the only reason why we have the three goals conceded so far. Yeah, that's all really well said. I I wonder if Manolas's days are are limited. I, we definitely need a third center back, so I don't think uh, unless we replace them, we talked about this previously on previous episodes, so we'd have to bring in a replacement. But with the way Koulibaly and Rachmani are clicking, kind of wonder what's the future of Manolas. Joey, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Yeah, actually I do. I was thinking to myself, I never like to jump the gun. But I was thinking to myself before this game, it's still really early in the season. But I was thinking, if we could come away with an impressive three points, I'm going to commit to the fact that, yeah, we're going to be a top four team this year. Coming away with one point, I still feel the same way. I'm pretty confident in saying, yeah, we're going to make Champions League next year. Obviously, we have a ton of this. We're not even a third of the way through the season yet. But I've been really impressed up until this point. And uh, you got to give a ton of credit to our coach. You know, Spalletti, we're a different team in the second half every game. It hasn't been the case with the last couple of coaches that we have. Whatever he tells them during halftime, whether it's tactics, whether it's for confidence, whatever the case may be, he makes a big difference with this team. And it's, it's just nice to have a coach like that. I feel pretty confident in this team. And I think if we take it seriously enough, maybe we'll make a run in the Europa League as well. One thing I'm impressed with with Spalletti is that he's also not afraid to take a player like Insigne out in you know the 60th minute if he thinks that's the right thing to do in that moment. And I think he's confident enough. He's talked enough about the depth of the squad that he can put other guys in. And some players, Chucky, Insigne, may not be too happy coming out, which is fine. But as long as we keep getting those results, it's hard for anyone, including the players, to argue with that. All right, that's where we'll leave it. Joey, thank you so much for taking the time. 
Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me on, man. It's my pleasure, Vincenzo. Thank you. Always happy to be here, Joe. Thanks again. Thank you. You can find both of our guests on Twitter. Joey is at Joe Cacavala2 and Vincenzo is at Vinbertillo. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fortsanapoli Pod. I'll be back in a day or two with another episode to review our Primavera match over the weekend, as well as to preview our midweek fixture against Bologna. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Sports Social Podcast Network.